Hi, everybody. Welcome to Inland Valley Poets talking about Inland Valley art. I'm John Branningham. Uh, would you guys introduce yourselves? I'm Kendall Johnson. <laughs> That's the deal. And we're all poets in the Inland Valley and interested in Inland Valley art as well. I, who spent most of my life in this area, have been fascinated with my whole life. And I think my introduction to it was a kind of corporate art. I remember driving around the back of my dad's car and he went to Bank of America, but I never understood why he didn't go to Home Savings because it looked so much more regal. It looked safer. And part of that was that Millard Sheets had done this fantastic mosaic that was on it. And he'd done mosaics on a lot of them. And uh, not being somebody who knew anything about money, I was drawn to art rather than, I don't know what, what the banks do. I don't know if one was better than the other. Um, so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about specifically one piece that still exists. Sadly, a lot of these are gone uh, as banks changed and they, they changed locations. Some of the banks retained their locations, but simply plastered over the pieces because they wanted a different feel for the bank. Um, I guess it was a move away from a, a stodginess. I'm not sure exactly what the logic was there. But some of them still exist. One that still exists is on the co corner of Indian Hill and Foothill Boulevards in Claremont. It's a fantastic place. That, 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 that area in and of itself has a lot of rich um, art. Uh, you can remember back in Christmas, there was a manger scene where Mary, Jesus, and Joseph were in cages. It was right next to this, right? There's a lot of that kind of art happening in that, that, this area. Um, I'm going to show it, and then maybe we'll talk about it a little bit. This is the piece. This is a close-up of the piece um, from the sidewalk. Uh, you can imagine that uh, to my back, there was a, a lot of traffic. To my sides, there was a lot of traffic. And this is the, the interesting thing about public art. Even when it's exceptional, it's um, often missed because it's, uh, you know, we, we simply can't look at everything very, inspect everything very closely. Otherwise, we would crash. Uh, and so we often miss this. And I, I have lived near this for, for years and didn't really see it until somebody said, oh yeah, there's also one that these things that you're talking about right here. And I was within walking distance of it. I, I walked over to it. Well, there's never a time I'm on Foothill Boulevard that I'm doing anything other than trying to survive the traffic. Um, uh, so uh, I find this piece interesting. Uh, th this, I believe, depicts the, the indigenous tribe that was here uh, for which Indian Hill Boulevard was named. Am I, am I correct about that? Absolutely. And the um, Indian Hill itself um, is a, a small plateau um, just above Indian Hill Boulevard. And north of this, um, they turned it into a golf course. And now the uh, golf course is gone and the, the uh, California Botanic Gardens is up there. Um, mm. but this was, this was done, um, a little bit ago at, an, um, the photograph, not to criticize your photography, John, but, but this is really a washed out version of, of the, the mural when you look at it, um, because those are all stone and, and tiles that have been cut and they don't fade, you know, those things are still standing and, you know, Pompeii in full color. Um, and this will be here a lot longer than the bank building will if somebody has a sense to yank it off. But the colors are vivid. They're, they're absolutely um, striking now. 
as a photographer, I'm a pretty good poet. It, absolutely, but a, but a, a damn good poetic photographer. <laughs> um, but it just it's just know that it's brighter and and deeper color. Uh huh. Um, do Do you know the name of the of the tribe, and do you know their history? They They are a Tongva group. That's all I know. Okay. Um, there's the Tongva were were spread out over much of Southern California, um, from Santa Barbara down to to uh, this area, a uh, little bit into. I believe I'm. This is I'm stepping out of my area of, of knowledge here, um, but I think it's as far as as the uh, as banning in the uh, past in that direction. I'm not sure how far down towards San Diego, but that that group moved around a lot, and so they'd populate one area. There's splinter groups. And so it's it's kind of a complicated. You have to talk to Dan Romero about that to get a better picture um, of of who they are, what linguistic group, and and um, their their current state. Uh huh. So it's a, it's an interesting pr piece. It's also possibly pro problematic piece mm -hmm. uh, as people who were this is the land that was taken from them right And here let, let's let's celebrate these people that, whose land we've taken from them there's um, there's that area john there's also the fact that that um i don't know how many horses they had uh -huh. this may just be miller cheats's concept of what the tongue were like uh-huh and it's a very idealized version yeah yeah um, and uh, uh, and so we 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 fall into to stereotype uh, mm -hmm. with with this picture. Um, I, I've I, along with with Millage Sheets, there were a number of artists and artisans working. One of them being Sue Hertel, um, whose whose uh, paintings really really focus on horses, right? And mm -hmm. I'm wondering the influence of her and her her ability to depict horse. Let's take a look at that image again. Horses horses well. Um, and you can see that the horses here are, to me, the most interesting thing, especially the faces and the expressions in, in the faces. Um, there's, there's life to them. There isn't in, in other, other. They kind of look like Arabian horses, which happened this century, not in the time that this portrays. Hmm. So I, I don't know. What the the I'm sorry, Matt. Is there like a boat in the background? Um, I, like here? Yeah. Uh, it might be the, the the name of this is um, Indians and Yucca, um, and so it might be a, 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 an image of a Yucca blossom. If or, you look down in the center, down below, there's kind of a close up of those blossoms, and then you see them spread out in various places through the thing. I think by the time it gets up to the top, it's it's unclear as to whether it's those flowers or something different. The shape doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. the color almost fits. Um, it's hard to tell. I don't know. It's interesting. There, there weren't any bodies of water in this area right. big enough to float a boat. So I'm doubting if it's that. Even the Santa Ana River is, only has water uh, above ground occasionally, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, I find I find uh, the the humanity in the horse's face much more expressive than the humanities in the 
the humanity in the humans' faces. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, huh. so yeah. I, I wonder if we could talk maybe about the nature of corporate art. Uh, when we were talking about public art, I've been doing a lot of public art things lately. Um, there, there, I think there's a line at which corporate art becomes logo or something rather than really and truly art. What do you guys feel about this? Is this really and truly art? Is this, is this too corporate? Is this like, uh, well, I mean, uh, I, mean uh, I don't know. I mean, like the, the, the it, it's part of the whole, <clears throat> you ask if it's problematic. I mean, the whole, I mean, I don't know, Indian Hills kind of, I mean, the, the naming of the, <laughs> the streets kind of <laughs> raises issues. I mean, like the fact that it's Indian Hill, just general Indian, I always wondered about is why is Indian Hill? And then like, it actually, I think, if you go down where the Claremont Heritage House is, there's like Heritage Boulevard or like, or, or Pioneer Boulevard or some of that, or Pioneer's Way or some of that. So, I mean, there's kind of like this kind of, um, this kind of like, uh, it just so happens type, type, type naming of places. It just so happens to be, you know, it's just like, this is just Indian Hill. This is just that. This is just Pioneer. This is, and they all live in Harmony. So it's very much like a Thanksgiving celebration or something like that. It's very like, kind of like, you're just, you just kind of accept it. I, are you supposed to just kind of, look at it and just be like, oh, yes, those were, they, they were here, and um, how noble, or something like that, so I feel, I feel like that's kind of that, but if we're going to talk about that, I mean, then the whole, it calls everything to question, not just the painting, you know what I mean, like, there's the whole, I mean, calls <laughs> Claremont into question, I mean, in Los Angeles, I mean, it calls, calls, calls our entire, our entire way of life into question, but, um, yeah, I agree with you about the horses, though, like the horses have much more detail and it's, it's interesting that Kendall brings up this ahistoric, you know, so it's like, you know, you're honoring the past, but you're, you're doing this thing and this kind of like that, this kind of um, thing that exists in your imagination, not in reality. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's like, yeah, just, just put the horses in there and like, you know, like maybe let's give them some drums. Right. And instead of bringing like, you know, the drums, I mean, they didn't do this. I'm just, this, it is done. Right. People get, people get in drums, but they don't, they bring in drums from like Africa or something like that. Like uh, what was Warner Herzog uh, made a film uh, Fitzcarraldo, and um, it's about these natives in South America that are they're helping you know build an opera house. And it's this guy's crazy vision, and um, but the soundtrack he wanted like the sound of like drums, right? Now they had drums, you know, the, the, in this area, but he brought in these African drums because it just sounded more visceral to him, right? Uh -huh. So it's, just, it's that kind of thing, right? So just like you know, like just one thing may as well be another, you know, um, so. Um, I would say that, but it, I don't know in terms of like corporate stuff. I mean, like, you know, if you go to like Boyle Heights and, and like East, East LA, and you see the stuff that there, you see these paintings, you know, from people that grew up in the neighborhood and there's like this kind of like a political statement. Now, whether you agree with that political statement or not, there's a statement, right? And they're, they're, they're saying something, right? They're showing this guy here and there's like some revolutionary and there's like someone holding a jail, you know, bars of jail cell or something like that. And, you know, it's, 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 it's providing some type of like conflict, right? There's no real conflict here. There's no real, um, there's no real, not even conflict is thing. There's no real story here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I think that like, when you look at corporate art, what is corporate art or the essence of corporate art is that there's, there's just something that you look at and it's just like, you recognize it and then you go about your day. <laughs> well, it's it, it, it's at least meant to be a celebration of of the people who lived here. Um, so in that way, it's, it's it's sort of a statement. But you're right. There's not there's not the there's no narrative happening here. It's just some guys sitting out there in the in the field. Um, yeah, what, what, Ken, when when do you think it becomes 
merely co corporate logo logoizing and when is it actually truly we think of art i think those are slippery terms yeah um and uh, let's take dan romero again who's done some corporate work as well as his own um individual work and in one of them for for one i think it was mitsubishi i'm not sure is one of the the um, car companies, he was asked to do a big um, logo, a, a, a sculpt, which had a design that then went on all their stationery, their letterhead, their, their um, uh, pamphlets that would go out, their advertising, and it was all to identify that this is Mitsubishi, if it was in fact Mitsubishi, I don't know. Um, that was a pure case of corporate art. Um, when the company goes up in smoke, then that may be kept as a relic in a museum somewhere because it's too big to put in your, your closet. Um, but it ceases to exist. Whereas this, um, this is kind of a, you know, when Sheets did these, he did like a huge number of bank faces uh -huh. like this. They're all different. And the interesting thing is he, had, he made an attempt to differentiate them one from another by some reference to the local territory. So in, in this one, um, there is that, that little mesa um, just to the east of Indian Hill Boulevard, which actually used to be Alexander Boulevard um, in the 40s and, and was changed over when they moved the street and reconfigured it as the town built. Um, so they named the, the street after this, um, this location where, where a group of, in, of, of um, indigenous folks actually lived. Uh -huh. But then... Uh, they don't now. It's like a, it was a half golf course, half botanic gardens by the time they named um, named it Indian Hill. So, so it, it, these things get lost in history of why people named things the way they did. And, we, and it, in this, you don't see a clear political story unless you read between the lines. Then it has to do with a, a lost world. Okay. Um, and lost through some very hard, hard events. Mm -hmm. um, interesting about this thing, um, a lot of Sheets stuff, I mean, Sheets is known for his watercolors of horses. He's done, and, and they're, they're gorgeous. Um, in this one, you know, he's, he's put them by these yucca blooms, um, I don't think anybody has ever in, uh, seen that many full yucca blooms in such yeah. close proximity. It's this enchanted world. It's this place. And, and the, the blooms themselves don't look like yucca flowers. Yeah. Um, but they clearly, when you put it all together, it suggests that um, yucca blooms are not as, as stylized as that. And he did them that way, and so so he's creating this this world of 
of um, almost a, it's it's like a, a historical fantasy. He's done the the Outlander version of of early Claremont life in this. It's um, it it never was this. <laughs> yeah, well, but, but but our imagination makes it so, and that's why he's tried to capture that. Yeah, it's a very much a magical. Uh, yeah. dreamy sort of, of, of world, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the world we want as opposed to the world that we have. Yeah. Uh, which in, in that way is really beautiful. And yeah. um, didn't do it by himself, obviously. It did oh. it with several people, including Sue Hertog. Yeah, Hertel. And, yeah. and it's a huge, huge piece. Uh, when you, you drive by the building and it looks big, you walk up to it and, and my God, it grows. It's yeah. like what, 20 feet high maybe and, and yeah. 30 to 5 feet wide. It's Nobody could put that together working by themselves, so he had a crew. And not only that, he was taking orders for these damn things right and left. And, you know, he hired – I don't remember the number of studio assistants I saw that he had hired in there. Um, this is after the war when the economy's blowing up and – and uh, late 50s, early 60s, and things are just exploding financially. And home savings alone is fine. You know, there's, what, 100 of those buildings scattered throughout Southern California. And each one has a different one of these, and they're equally big. I've, I've seen the pieces, you know, dissembled. Um, and, and they're huge, and they're heavy as lead. And so we had a squad of assistants. She was one of them, a, one of the prominent ones. And she did her own work as well as, as work with him. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we talked a lot last week about Carl Benjamin mm-hmm. and about the idea of um, uh, mentorship, yeah. uh, how, how he would, and the, the tradition of mentorship in this area. And I know Matt, you, you work very much as a mentor to a lot of people. Um, and uh, uh, he worked at my colleges and would choose his students, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, where, I'm, where I'm going to here, except for I, I, I love that idea of um, it's almost a family approach to, to creating art. Um, yeah, it still is in the art world if in Claremont. Um, half of the battle is having gone to CGU and having a... MFA for it. And if you don't, you're an outsider, period. And maybe you can can weasel your way inside to become a Claremont artist, despite the fact that you don't have that degree, but it's a long road. And you've got to you've got to cultivate your contacts. And it's an it's an old boys network, even though some of them were female. Uh-huh. So well, good the network's still going on today? I can't can't hear you what? So we say the network is still like in place today. The the the, the gatekeeper. Yeah, it's it's weakening as as they gray and die off, <laughs> but but it's um, it's still there. It's still there. There are a number of people in decision making roles in Claremont who came up through that mentorship um, pattern, and they they hold sway. You, you don't have to have nowadays. Um, you don't have to have gone to that program and and 
been accepted by them in order to make it in Claremont, but it's harder. And um, 20 years ago, it was far harder. So that, that's, that's then the shadow side of, of that. Well, yeah. 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 Um, it, it's an editorial side too. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to please the folks. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be one of them yeah, to get the blessing. Hmm. Hey, John, I'm really interested in this. I'm asking to ask you a question. You know, uh-huh. there's, there's definitely, with or without it being like, you know, as expensive as going to CGU, yeah. um, and as expensive as, you know, coming out of like some of these kind of programs, you know, there is this kind of weird thing that exists like in the world of like the infrastructure of blessing, right? It's good. Yeah. The infrastructure of ordainment, right? Yeah. yeah, that's good. I like that. So like, but you have, um, not intentionally, not intentionally, but in your own way, create this kind of like alternative um, blessing apparatus mm-hmm. out of Mount Sac. And I'm not saying you did it on purpose, but like, no, but it's in there. Effect, in effect, this is what's happened in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a far less brutalizing uh, experience than what, what, what Kendall's describing here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, can, can you, can you like, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm very interested in that, like, because like it, 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 it you know, you come through um, the writer's weekend, Culturama, uh, San Gabriel Valley, whatever. There's like a certain level of like, like credibility, like, like, like in the Inland Empire, have you, have you gone through this, right? Gone through some of these little, gone through, not, I should say a little bit, gone, gone through some of these, um, these things that you've been very instrumental in creating um, to someone like who's never met you, right? Let's say like, let's say I, let's say I did a workshop at your thing and I go to San Bernardino and this person's never met me. And then we're just having a conversation. Like, oh yeah, I led a workshop over at Cultural. I'm like, oh, with Branningham, blah, 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 right? And like, so what, what, what is that? What is that? I'm kind of curious. Like what, how do you feel about um, these things? Cause I think they're inevitable. These, 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 these structures of like. Yeah, and, and, and gatekeeping becomes to some degree inevitable. Um, so I, I think it's it's on the person who's doing that kind of thing to make sure the, there's as little gatekeeping as possible, right? You're you're letting in everybody, you're trying to reach everybody, and that also that whatever power and influence that you have, you're giving it away to a whole new generation of people who don't look and think like you, right? So it can can modify and can change, and so um, but that that's, that becomes nervous for the for the people following you, right? That becomes very difficult. Because you're saying, okay, well, I, I built this thing, and I now I want to give it to you. And they're saying, well, I don't know how to do it the way you're doing it. So you've got to, you've got to say, it's fine, do it the way you're going to do it. And um, you don't know if it's going to be as impactful. It's fine, let it be less impactful, right? Um, th- things change. Things are always going to, going to change. Within my, my career at Mount Sac, um, I've had a creative writing club on and off for years. And some years, it's like 40, 50 people. And all of those people who went through at that time are now professional writers in one way or another. Uh, and other times it's maybe five people and they're doing it for fun and there's no intention of, of going on. And that, that's not, uh, it's not a reflection necessarily, it could be on me or anybody who's working with me. It's more a reflection of what's going on in society and what the, those students want, right? And, you know, um, so what, what do you do about the gatekeeper thing? Um, I'm not sure. I think I think you give it away as much as you can. Um, I think you 
definitely make sure that you're not giving it to one group of people based on wealth and uh, race and all of those things that you sometimes see. Um, I, I, I can think of any number of programs where you're not going to make it if you're not white male, right? It's simply not designed for you. You, you better go someplace else. And I've seen that in the architecture world and I've seen it in the writing world. Um, there's certain, certain publishers, there's certain places that, uh, certain magazines that have rejected me for years and years and years. And then I found that out about them and now I'm rejecting them. Uh, it ends up being the same thing. Uh, I'm not being published in them, but um, now it's, it's for a different reason. Um, you know, and, and uh, I, I think if you're, you're gonna have this kind of influence, you've gotta, you gotta give it away. You've gotta, you've gotta pay it forward. And I think you, you have that too, right? People, you know, with your position at the, the, at the DAW Center, you, people are coming to you and they're learning things from you. And they're gonna learn how to, their, their writing is not going to be imitative of yours, but it's going to be influenced by you. And that's you're gonna see that going forward. So I, I, I came up in Long Beach uh, in the, um, uh, not spoken word, what do, you, what do you call it? Stand-up school of poetry. And I see a lot of Long Beach stand-up poetry happening with people that were my students and were p people who were not my students but were influenced by my students in some way, right? And there's nothing I can do about that. Uh, that that's, what I was, that's what I've been teaching for the most, most part. Uh, and I'm not sure I, I want to do anything about that. I like, I like stand-up poetry, um, but it, it's, it's, it's definitely there. And, and I think we're going to see a lot of people writing the three-act poem, um, which is your, what you do. I don't know if that answers the question. No, no the, the real question, I mean, because I'm thinking if, if this is inevitable, right, that, 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 there's, that, that there needs to be a structure you know, like like what, what Kendall was describing with the Good Old Boys Club, right? The Good Old Boys Club is not inevitable, but uh, the apprenticeship, go out in the world, better to die, et cetera, is kind of inevitable. It's it's just, it's just part of the world. It's just, it's just part of the way. Well, also, how else do you right? learn? Yeah, it's it's part of yeah, it's part of village life. It's just part of the world, right? And that and that's that. To create these things that counter the Good Old Boys Club, that counter the gatekeepers, right? To counter to create these, these infrastructures, right? Because I mean, like, let's just look at it. I mean, like, first of all, Claremont Graduate University, you know, despite to me what I consider kind of silly when they call themselves the Ivy League of the West. I mean, I think that's I think that's a little blown. But they are very, very prestigious, expensive schools, right? Very prestigious, expensive schools. They are highly rated for many reasons, right? And I'm not, and look, and let's say all deserved, right? Okay, Mount Sac, Mount Sac's community college, right? And yet you created something out of the hub of Mount Sac, you know, that attracts people from all over the country, different country, you know, from Canada, it's known all throughout the area and it's known beyond the area, right? So like you have people coming in from Seattle, you got people from Canada, you got people from all over the place to come participate in this thing that you created at something that is definitely not the Claremont, at the Claremont colleges. It's something at a place where you have, you know, working class students, you have, um, people in their, you know, people in the, the uh, another chapter of life coming back to school because they need to get a job, you know, people, you know, all kinds of things, right? Much more working class environment. And yet you've created something that is a legitimizing platform, right? Whether or not that was your intention. Um, that to me is like, well, that's what things should be, right? If we're going to do this, right? That that should be there. And, and it's, it's just interesting to me to see how you think about it because whether, whether or not, you think about it the way I'm thinking about it, it's still in my mind happening, right? 
that people can come here and and it's not like that. It's not like what Kendall was describing, where it's like if you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't like you don't you don't uh, kiss my rings and then I'm not saying Miller she was like that. I'm just just a general yeah yeah. You, know, like, you don't kiss my rings and you don't let me steal credit for your work. <laughs> and again, I'm not saying Miller Sheets was like that, but I've seen it right. Then like you're out right. Um, creating the opposite of that. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's the ideal. That that's that's what I, what I I hope that we're 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 doing at Mount Sac. Um, uh, but then then I, you, you get worried too that uh, am I am I doing it right? Am I creating the, the kind of of um, culture that is is excluding people? Whether I want it to be doing that or not, am I am I gatekeeping? Are there people who are going to be turned off just by my Johnness, right? Um, and it is, of course, not everybody's going to like me. That, that's fine. But if a whole group of people can't work with me because of something that is me, then that's dangerous. And I think that's why um, a couple of things have, have to happen. One, you, you've got to have multiple people on your team who are doing this, right? So the, no, nobody ever has to interact with me. And then two, uh, those people who leave the program go out and mentor others. So it's as little gatekeeping as possible. It's going out and we're, we're now going to, to teach the world, um, which is great if, if uh, that happens. And um, I guess that's the goal. Uh, that's, that's What's really interesting, John, about this and Matt, um, you've both used the word necessary. And from the point of view of the beginning writer, it's absolutely necessary that they find a way to get themselves schooled and introduced. Yeah. And that's normal. Um, it doesn't have to be an exclusive club, but there has to be some mentorship at some point or we're lost as beginners. Yeah. So, so I guess what I'm saying is, gee, wouldn't that be a good course to give at all levels? A course of, and I've never seen it. I, I, as a as a therapist, I had to take professionalism, and it was about the professional ethics um, of of practice. Well, as an artist, mm -hmm. somewhere there ought to be a professional ethics course, which would include things like, you know, don't infringe on copyrights and and yada yada, but it also would talk about the implied moral uh, obligation to function in a mentorship role mm. with those coming up. And if I, if I ever, if I ever open up my own MFA, uh, I will definitely do that. I think that would oh, be- Oh yeah, because I see what you do, Matt. I see what you do down at, at DAW, fitting that very clearly. And, and John at, at Mount Sac and beyond. Um, very clearly you guys are mentors and you give you open pathways for people and and that's necessary in the profession for the profession to grow uh-huh uh stephanie you are stepping in early we're, we're doing a podcast right now and we would love to have you here uh okay <laughs> talk about the uh, ethics of mentorship right now yeah. Wow. Hey, Matt. Hey, Ken. Hey. Hi. 
<laughs> we started off in a discussion of Millard Sheets and how he was a sort of mentor to people in the Claremont area. And now we're talking about um, what, what are our obligation as educators and artists to the next generation? How do you mentor? Um, when does that mentorship become gatekeeping? Um, and, you know, and as a, um, a longtime professor, you, I'm sure you've thought about this to, to a very large degree. Yeah, you know, I, I really liked, and I, I taught it, it in Nyla's um, uh, final class. What was it? it? Was it was? I can't remember the name of it. I taught it. Um, the, the where you learned how to publish and you learned how. Right, to, right. Actually. Yes, it was. It was publishing and pitching. It was some very professional, generic-y sounding, you know, title, but it was actually kind of a fun class. Yeah, it was great, and. Um, Kendall just suggested that there ought to be another level of that, which is um, the, the, the ethical part of being a writer and talk, talking about things like copyright, but also how do you pay for that mentorship? Um, and uh, what, what, is your, what is your responsibility to the, to the community? It's a really good question just generally is what is the artist's responsibility to the community? Um, and it's, it's the too simplistic a question. I just covered 10,000 different things. But in sort of general terms, what do you, what do you think? What is, what is our obligation to community? Yeah, that's such, a great, that's such a great question. And I just actually came off of a, um, a Jewish learning um, anti-racism training series that um, I'm doing with the congregation up here in the Pacific Northwest. This is being spearheaded by Johanna Kinberg, who's really been kind of at the front lines uh, of, among American rabbis about, about becoming uh, an anti-racist congregation. And um, we've been talking a lot about, you know, we've been talking a lot about education. And um, I increasingly, I think at this point, maybe, maybe Ken, you feel this way too, and maybe Matt, you feel this. I really, tr I increasingly as a, as a mentor, to be a supporter, I, I try to do very little directing and very little um, telling, telling the mentee or the person who's asked me for advice what to do. My job is to find out what they want to do and help them do it in a way that they want. Are you using kind of a Socratic method? Um, the person who, the two people who I actually keep on coming back to in just increasingly you know, any work I do that's connected to teaching is first of all, Neil Postman on teaching as a subversive activity. Yeah, yeah. And because I think he, his whole thing is high school students, middle school students, any student is much smarter than you think they are and are actually pretty capable of figuring out what they want to do and what they need to know mm. if you just ask them very open-ended questions. Neil's whole thing was don't ask yes or no questions. Just don't, you know, ask very open-ended questions. And then the other person <laughs> who I continually come back to is Bell Hooks. Uh-huh. Is influenced by Paolo Freire and it's all about, it's all about creating community and creating love in, in the classroom. And she's working with with similar uh, with similar ideas, but she's much more, of course, aware of of 
racial dynamics and in particular anti-black um, dynamics in the classroom. Oh, that's interesting. You know, John, we had a conversation, you had a conversation last night um, on a Zoom group for a museum in which you, um, one of the speakers was Father Bill Moore, who's a local artist, a very good one. And he, Father Bill, helped me when I, you know, in midlife, I started deciding to take my art seriously. And I would go see him a number of times and he would just do what you are describing, both, well, all of us have been describing, about not advising, about, about just probing and just saying, you know, well, tell me more about that. You know, and and I found myself finding my own way um, through that. And I, and, and I really think that, 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 you know, Stephanie, you're right, that it's, the, you know, the bell hooks, the Paulo Freire, all of that stuff is right on the money, uh, particularly in the arts, where, where the business of authenticity doesn't mean you have to speak clearly about what you know. Authenticity is about when you get the courage to move into what you don't know. Yeah. That's interesting. He, he was talking about authenticity as a spiritual practice, mm -hmm. which I, I find, find interesting, right? And you're stripping away the falseness of your own life and going straight into what you're, so you're using art as, as a way to get into the spirit in a both, uh, to less degree a religious, but, but also religious, but mostly a spiritual sort of thing. And um, well, then the, the mentorship becomes spiritual as well then, right? It helps, helps to, the mentee to, to create that. But you can't do it if you're telling them what to write. Um, and that's where the questions come in, because really all, all I'm ever trying to do with, my, with, with questions is, is assist... Um, whoever it is I'm talking to, to kind of think about and pursue and kind of figure out what they want to do. I had such an interesting experience with this, um, this youth group here in Unwood B Island that are climate strike people. Um, and they're, t they're high school students. And they've created this group that's got a bunch of older people in it, but they're the leaders. And it's very interesting to see how hard it is for all of us older people not to go, well, you know, you really ought to. <laughs> and what about? And they're brilliant. They don't need that. And so, again, you know, using Neil and using a wonderful Gloria Watkins, a.k.a. Bell Hooks, I've just, all I do in these meetings is say, well, what do you think about? And they immediately go, oh, they know exactly what needs to be done. And yeah. so really all I'm doing is asking that question and then witnessing what the decision is. Um, it's been really great to, to work with. That's interesting. That's great. Um, okay, well, I, I think uh, my, my podcast is, is merging with my class, uh, okay. and, which is great. Um, do, do we have any final things to say about Millard Sheets, about mentoring? Matt, I think you got something great to say. Well, no, no, I just feel like um, a lot of times, you know, the way I mean, the way I've been doing things for years now is to have this kind of um, structured into, um, uh, all I'm really doing is showing people a, a dynamic structure of doing things, but I never, ever, ever tried to tell them what to write about. I never tell them what to write. I mean, I always just give them like, 
we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this way, this way, this way, this way. And the content kind of flow, uh, freely flows out of them, you know? So I, I, my concept is that I'm really just providing them like a cup, right? I'm providing a, a style of cup. Now this, I don't assume that they don't know how to make cups, but you know, you're in my workshop, so you're gonna make my, you're gonna do it my way, right? But you're gonna talk about whatever you wanna talk about, right? And so like, and so I've had that way of doing things for a long time. And I never, cause it never was, it was, I never had a light bulb go off over my head that like, oh my God, like these people are brilliant or, oh my God, they could, they could, they can write. I'm like, of course they can write. Of course I'm brilliant. I mean, like, I'm brilliant, you know, like, I, you know what I mean? But that's a lot of, that, 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 see, I think that for me, that's not a big journey though. You know what I mean? Cause like, Ropen Osorano, you know, I, I, you know, Mexican guy from, you know, East LA. So, I mean, like, I'm not supposed to be able, according to so-and-so and so-and-so, you know, according to people who hire me, I'm not, you know, <laughs> Anytime they see that I'm smart, a light bulb goes over their head. So, like, for me, it's like, you know, there's, there's no light bulb moment. You know, like, I could, I could travel the world. There would never be a light bulb moment. I couldn't be, like, you know, could be in Australia and be like, oh, these Maori youth actually, you know, of course. Right? But, like, same time. But at the same time, there's also something that's true. And the other thing that's true is that I've been doing this for 15 years now. Right? And the fact of the matter is that in doing it for 15 years, I've developed, like, honed skills and talents and abilities. Right? Um, technical skills. Right? That, that I can that I can impart to people so that they can better get out what they're saying, right? So I don't. I, on the one hand, I don't have. I don't think. In, I don't think in terms of like, you know, like wow, there's genius in them. That's that's obvious. That's that's an inherent thing, right? But on the other hand, I don't think that like, you know, that anyone would inherently know how to do this thing. I'm going to ask them to do without having been shown how to do it. You know, like because that's just, yeah. That's, so there's then a distinction between technique and subject matter. But, well, my, my whole, my whole, my, I mean, like, everything I do is like, uh, everything, I mean, as an artist, everything I do is like making the distinction between technique and subject matter, right? The whole three act poem, the whole, you know, like, you know, what are you talking about? How you can talk about it, form, substance. I mean, all, all that stuff is like, everything I do is like the separation of those two things and, and the combining of them. So like, uh, that's just how my, 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 that's how me personally, my mind works. So that's how I've, I've done things over the years. So that, that comes really naturally to me, is separating those two things. And so when I see people so, separate so. those two things, yeah. When I was at uh, Cal State Long Beach, um, one of my professors had been there when Steven Spielberg was a student. And he said, it's a really good thing for Spielberg and the world that he never took my class because I would have told him that sci-fi was a subliterate genre and we would have lost all of this great, incredible work that he's done uh, all through my, my early life arrogance. Um, and uh, you know, when I first started teaching, I was teaching this one thing that I thought was special. And in fact, there's all sorts of subject matters and approaches and things like that. So I think that's it's really good. I mean, you you can't uh, then tell people this is the right thing to, to write about. I just want to jump in, and I want to thank you so much, Matt, for 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 coming in with with what your experience is and how you see the relationship with with the folks that you're working with and how you see making your own art. Because I think it really points to the fact that that we all kind of have, can have very, very different approaches to art making and to mentoring and that it can all be right, it can all work. Matt, you remind me a lot of my, my friend who's an abstract e expressionist painter. Her name is Linda Bessemer and she's very, yeah, it's just very much what you, she says, yeah, of course I'm this and we do this and there's, there's the work and there's a problem. And this is how I look at it. And there isn't, there isn't inspiration. There isn't a light going off for her ever. It's just, yeah, we're doing it. And, um, and that that's actually such, that's an incredibly empowering way to do work and to, and to show other, other people how to do work too. 
I think that's a, a great place to end for this week. Um, this has been a really great conversation that started off about Millard Sheets and uh, Sue Hertel and turned into us uh, understanding art in the world and teaching. So great. Um, I will see you all next week. Thank you.